0: to begin my thoughts today with a story about a farmer who is out in pasture with his sheep all of a sudden rolling into the pasture comes this really nice expensive suv the man steps out of it and he's got on a really expensive european suit he's got on italian leather shoes he's got his rolex watch on and he says to the farmer hey if i can tell you how many sheep you have in your pasture here may i have one And the farmer, knowing that he's got a lot of sheep, says, absolutely. So this guy gets back into his truck. He fires up his computer, plugs into the internet, taps into some NASA GPS satellite. He hooks up his portable printer, prints off several spreadsheets and about a 125-page report. And he spends about the next 10, 15 minutes just going over the report bit by bit. He steps out of the truck, and he says to the farmer... You have exactly 1,556 sheep in your pasture. The farmer says, that's exactly right. Go ahead and take one. So the man goes out and he puts one of the animals into his truck. And before he leaves, the farmer says, now, now, can I ask you something? If I can tell you what you do for a living, may I have my animal back? The guy says, absolutely. The farmer says, you're a business consultant, aren't you? He says, yes, how did you know? The farmer says, well, there's really three ways. First of all, you showed up here on my property without being asked. Secondly, you wanted me to pay for information that I already knew. And third, you know nothing about my business because that's my dog you've got in your truck. (laughs) And the whole point of that story is this. We live in a day and time in history where we have more information than ever, right? We are inundated with information. But the world's still broken. Proving that information is not producing transformation. We've got a lot of knowledge, but we seem to have less and less wisdom. And maybe what is most wrong is that we can't seem to agree in our world on what is most right. And this is why Jesus was so eager to send the gift of the Holy Spirit. I want you to listen to what he says in John's Gospel, chapter 14, starting in verse 16. I want you to catch this, what he he says here. He says, I will ask the Father... And he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. Now when you go through Jesus' discourse from John 14 through John 16, you'll see something recurring. That the term Jesus uses to refer to the Holy Spirit most often is the term advocate or helper. But the name that Jesus uses to identify the Holy Spirit is the name the Spirit of Truth. Why is that? He could have called him the Spirit of Love. He could have called him the Spirit of Joy. Or as Paul does throughout his epistles, the Spirit of Christ. But over and over and over, Jesus consistently refers to the Holy Spirit with the name the Spirit of Truth. Why is that? Here's why I believe. Because the Holy Spirit has come to help humanity. And the area where humanity needs the most help is in the area of truth. Because here's what I know about the world that we live in. We would much rather be politically correct today than correct that somehow some way sincerity now trumps veracity sincerity now trumps truth my only problem with that is friends is that you can be absolutely sincere with something and sincerely wrong when i go to my doctor and they say solomon yep we've diagnosed you with this but you just go home You pull out of your medicine cabinet whatever you want to take, and as long as you're sincere and you believe that it will heal you, it will heal you. I don't want to go to a doctor who says that, right? In the same way, friends, Scripture says this. There is a way that seems right to a man. But in the end, it leads to death. Sometimes sincerity can lead you right off a cliff. So in the most important arenas of life, we need truth. So it would help us to know what does God think about certain things. So I want you to allow me to read to you a, a pretty heavy portion of Scripture that shows us why some people are able to grasp the things of God, the truths of God, and why some people don't. Listen to Paul's words as he writes to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 10, so if you have your Bibles flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 starting in verse 10. This sounds really deep, but it's really pretty simple what Paul says here, okay? He says here, the Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit, searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received, and this means you and I and all the other followers of Christ, what we have received is not the Spirit of the world but the Spirit who is from God. Listen to this. So that we may understand, so that we might have an awareness of, revelation of what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. So this passage helps us really understand why some people can really seem to grasp the deep truths of God, and for other people they just remain in a fog about it. So do you understand the enormity this morning of the gift that Jesus has given to you and I? That we have within ourselves the capacity to understand the very thoughts of God. Now I could stop the sermon right here and we could leave happy as could be this morning just with that one truth. That we have the capacity and the ability to understand the mind of God. Because we need truth. And the Holy Spirit is more than happy to oblige us on our quest of truth. So here's what Jesus says in John 16. He continues this talk about the Holy Spirit. He says in John 16, 12, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, here it is again, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth now does this mean that the Holy Spirit is going to help you on your chemistry exam maybe no actually not he won't okay don't trust in the Holy Spirit to do that here's what it does mean when it says the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth that everything that God wants you and I to know about what it means to follow him the Holy Spirit is going to reveal that to us. Now, how does he do that? That's the question. First, the Holy Spirit helps you and I to hear the truth. Well, how does he do that? Well, there's many ways, but I want to give you a couple of ways this morning, okay? So he helps us to hear the truth. How does he do that? He helps us to read and understand the Scriptures, our number one core value here at Batcher Creek is this. The Bible is our final authority. And there's a reason for that. Because we believe, as Paul tells Timothy, that all scripture, the word of God, is God-breathed. It has its source. It has its origin in God. And Peter, in his little epistle, 2 Peter wants to clarify that the prophets of Scripture and the other authors of Scripture didn't just concoct all this stuff and kind of pull it out of thin air, but they were guided. Here's what Peter says in 2 Peter one twenty: Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy, get this, never had its origin in the human will. But prophet's, Though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the what? The Holy Spirit. So who better help us understand the word of God than the very one who authored and inspired those words to be written? So let me tell you something this morning, okay? When you approach God's word, if you approach it flippantly without Prayerfully coming to it, here's what you're going to do. You are just going to inject into God's Word, into your reading, your own prejudices and your own biases that you already have. If you go to God's Word with your mind already made up. So when you open God's Word and you come to hear from Him, just pray this simple prayer Father, through the ministry of your Spirit, help me to better understand your truth. We find this sentiment even expressed by David in the Psalms. We find in Psalm 119.18, he says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. You know, one of the characteristics that I've noticed about people who I believe to be walking intimately with the Holy Spirit is that these men or these women have an insatiable hunger for the word of God and that is how the Holy Spirit helps us with the truth because he helps us to read and understand the scriptures another way that the Holy Spirit I believe helps believers as attested to through scripture is that the Holy Spirit provides for us this kind of internal truth alarm this lie detector if you would because do you remember what Jesus said about Satan? He called him the father of what? Lies. He traffics in deception. In fact, the very first recorded words of Satan are the words. you remember what it was? Did God really say? He's always getting us to, to, to somehow question the truth. And I'm going to tell you what, friends, there are all sorts of thoughts, there's all sorts of ideas that are floating around in the world, some of them very subtle, some of them not so subtle. But they all have at their heart the one who we would call the father of lies. And that's why Jesus gives his people this kind of, this kind of internal lie detector, so that when we hear something, we can say, that doesn't pass the sniff test. That doesn't sound like Jesus. And this is something that God gives to every follower of Jesus. Now, John reinforces this in his little epistle, 1 John chapter 2. He says here in verse 26, he says, I am writing these things to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Now listen to me. If I'm Satan, if I'm the father of lies... And I want to do the most damage that I can in this world to the truth. Where I'm going to put those people is not outside, but I'm going to put them inside the church. So John is writing to his audience, and he's addressing this idea of false teachers. I want to warn you about those who want to lead you astray. Here's what he says. But you, meaning the church, the body, you have received the what? The Holy Spirit. And he lives within you. So you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. Now what John is rebuking and addressing right here is not human teaching. What he's rejecting here is this idea that some teachers come along and say, there's a select few of us who really know what God wants. We're the really informed ones. So you just need to listen to us. You know what that's at the heart of? Every single cult that has ever existed. You have one central leader who says, there's you, and there's me, and there's God. And God talks to me, and then I talk to you. So if you want to know the truth, you come to me, and I'll tell you the truth. Because I've got this direct line to God. And John says, "Uh -uh uh-uh, uh-uh, The teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit exists in every spirit-filled follower of Christ. So let me say again, all right, the primary conflict that you and I and the rest of the world are going to face with the one who wants to destroy our lives Is always, always, always going to be a truth battle. And it's all around us. Because here's what I know as the Easter season gets closer, you're going to start seeing on your television a whole lot more documentaries, a whole lot more specials as they investigate Jesus. Who was he? Did he exist? Did he really die on the cross? Did he resurrect from the dead? Was he who he said he was? And to help you out, to kind of uncover the truth about Jesus, these documentaries and these specials are going to bring in so-called experts. The only problem is these experts come from some of the most liberal universities. They're the most liberal professors, liberal scholars, liberal pastors that we have around who quite honestly would not pass the test of orthodoxy of what you and I would agree must be believed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But they bring these experts in, and it's so subtle how they work. These experts don't deny Jesus. They just deny his uniqueness. They don't try to replace Jesus. They simply just want to reduce Jesus, to just be a common, ordinary man like the rest of us who who died a very, very tragic death. Now, let me tell you something, folks. The media, and I'm convinced the vast majority of the public universities in this nation, they do not have a stated agenda, but I assure you they have an unstated agenda. And that agenda is to systematically dismantle any evidence concerning the deity, the identity, and the sufficiency of Jesus Christ himself. You know how I know that? Because there's this, this common theme that I, that I feel like I keep seeing where the media will teach and they'll, they'll, they'll celebrate and they'll quote other faith systems... But what they teach about the Christianity is that Christianity is the worst thing that's ever happened to the world. And this world would be such a better place if it weren't for Jesus and those Christians. Because they just really, really make everything, they just ruin it all. Now I'm not saying this morning that I'm anti-academic. I'm not saying that I'm anti book What I'm telling you this morning is the same thing that every author of scripture would say. You and I have to be a very, very discerning people. That every book we read, the classes we take, the seminars we go to, any kind of media or literature that we absorb, we have got to ask ourselves this question. Is this helping me and encouraging me to love and trust Jesus more or less? Because remember, the darkness we talked about last week, the blindness we talked about last week, the vast majority of our world is living under this blanket of spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness. And Jesus says, I'm going to give my church the spirit of truth so that we can win that daily battle, so that we can recognize falsehood when we brush up against it. Because when you take away Jesus as being God in the flesh, when you take away his physical death, when you take away his bodily resurrection, you empty the essence of Christianity, of everything that it was built on. And here's what John says in 1 John chapter 4. This isn't on the screen or in your notes, but here's what he says. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. All those influential teachers that you have in your life, those spirit, those people who you give spiritual weight and spiritual authority to speak into your life, whether it's on TV, whether it's on radio, whether it's on book, whether it's here at this church, you gotta ask yourself one question. Do they love Jesus? And are they encouraging me to love and follow Jesus? more. Here's what I'm saying. We are always supposed to stay in tune with the Holy Spirit, so we stay on topic. And according to the Holy Spirit, there's only one topic. What's the topic, church? Jesus. Jesus reinforces this in John 15, verse 26, but he says here, but I will send you the advocate. I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. He will come to you from the Father and will testify about me. And you must also testify about me because you've been me from the beginning of my ministry. So the spirit of truth is going to help us hear the truth. And then Jesus says we're not just to be hearers and absorbers, but the spirit of truth is going to help us, number two, speak the truth. This is why after his resurrection, Jesus gave a very, very important command to his apostles. He said, wait. Do not leave Jerusalem. You've got to wait here, okay? Because I'm about ready to send something, and here's what you're going to get. We read in Acts 2.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my, say the word with me, witness Witnesses. Telling. Notice there, witnessing means telling, using our mouths. You were going to tell people about me everywhere. The most loving thing that we can do as followers of Jesus is tell people about Jesus and tell them that everything contrary to Jesus is wrong. So Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to you and I, to his church abroad. To help us not just walk like Christ, but to talk like Christ. Because the gospel, let me remind you, needs words, not just actions. So let me launch out for a minute and tell you something that I'm kind of passionate about, okay? I'm so thankful that the church, over the last couple of decades, we're seeing them be more involved outside the walls of the church. But the church universally is doing this. that The church has taken on more issues of, of social justice. They want to do good works. They want to be salt and light. But I'm here to tell you what, folks. The whole point of doing good works is so we can build a bridge by which we might share the good news. That's the whole point. And what I fear is that a lot of Christians in churches today have come under the conviction, they might not state it, but you just see it through their lives, that if we just live our lives as good examples, people will understand the gospel. And I don't believe that. I believe the gospel has to be taught before it can be caught. So let's say that you've got a neighbor. And in Jesus' name, you say, I want to be a good neighbor to my neighbor for the sake of showing Jesus. So when your neighbor, you find out, breaks his leg, you say, I'm going to go mow his yard until he's healed up. And so for six, seven, eight weeks, you mow his yard. And when you hear that your neighbor's wife is sick, you take some pity on your neighbor, and you offer to bring over some meals to make sure he doesn't starve, right? And finally, when you hear that your neighbor has been diagnosed with cancer, you go not once, but quite a few times to see him in the hospital. And then your neighbor dies. What gospel have you preached to your neighbor? Here's the gospel you've preached. That if you're good and you're nice, God will save you. Because God saves good and nice people. But I'm here to tell you what, folks. Folks. Kindness never erased one sin. Only the blood of Jesus can do that. What your neighbor needs to hear is, who was Jesus, why did he come, and what difference can he make in my life? I don't know why we've come to this conclusion somehow that we think that it has to be this either-or proposition doesn't have to be either my words or my actions. What it should be is this beautiful harmony of my words giving understanding to why I act the way that I do and that both of them together declare the goodness of God in my life. Now, you know where we see this really, really prominent? We see it in the book of Acts. So as we wind this down here just for the next two or three minutes, I want to point you to the book of Acts. Because in the book of Acts, here's what you're going to see time and time again. That when the followers of Jesus are filled with the Holy Spirit, you can always tell because they lift up and proclaim Jesus. In Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, we've talked about it for a couple of weeks now, the Spirit of God descends, the apostles declare the wonders of God, and they lift up Jesus. Peter's whole sermon that day is pointing the crowd to Jesus. In Acts chapter 4, just a few chapters later, Peter heals a crippled man in the name of Jesus. The religious authorities do not like that. They have a little powwow with Peter. Peter. And right there in Acts 4, Peter says to them that famous line, there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved except the name of Jesus. And right before he says that, guess what Scripture says? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. Well, the religious leaders threaten Peter that if he invokes the name of Jesus or uses the name of Jesus or preaches the name of Jesus, they are going to bring the hammer down on him. So what does Peter do? He goes back to the body of believers, and they fervently pray to God for boldness. It says the place where they were staying was shaken. They were filled with the Spirit, and then proclaimed the Word of God boldly. But probably the best example of this would happen in Acts chapter 7, where Stephen, this disciple of Jesus, is preaching powerfully about Jesus. And again, the religious leaders, the more Stephen's speaking, they're getting angrier and angrier and angrier, trying to figure out what they're gonna do with this guy. And finally, Stephen crosses the line. Here's what he says in Acts 7.55. But Stephen, what's the key here? Full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven, saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven open and the Son of Man, meaning Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. And they were so filled with rage, these religious leaders, that they stoned him to death because they didn't know any other way to deal with someone who was filled The Spirit of God. See, the Holy Spirit has one agenda in your life and in my life, and that is the exaltation of Jesus Christ. So, Jesus has given all of us the Spirit. to help us do what many of us, what for many of us doesn't feel real natural. That the Holy Spirit wants to help us walk and talk Jesus. And let me remind you folks, this whole discourse, John 14 through 16, about the Holy Spirit and Jesus' promise and what the Spirit's going to do. All of that started right after Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know what I know? That is not politically correct to say. But it is correct. Amen? And that's why we need power to continue to proclaim and to teach and to preach and to live that truth in the world in which Jesus has left us to be his witnesses. Because the very essence of the Christian life According to Scripture, the very essence of our life in Christ is to proclaim Christ. And this is why each week, corporately, we remember Jesus. We remembered the life he lived, the death he died resurrection that was his because he is God in the flesh and he lived the life that we could not live and died the death that we should have died and he was arisen from the grave by the power of the Holy Spirit which scripture says that same resurrection power lives in you and lives in me. So we remember through bread and through cup that it is this belief, it's this faith system that separates our faith from all the other faiths in the world. And we remember that the story needs to still be told. And his witnesses still need to be heard. So I'm gonna ask now that you join me in a word of prayer, if you would. Father, we wanna thank you For this amazing gift, the gift of truth that allows us these these mere mortals with finite minds that we are able to hear and understand the mind of God, the depths and the riches that are there for us. Thank you, Father, for your spirit that you've given as an act of love to your children so that we can hear the voice of our Father and understand what our Father desires in our life. That you've given us this capacity that when we hear something that doesn't sound right, that the Spirit piques our alarms and says, that's not Jesus-centered. So, Father, when we approach your word, I pray that for every person in this room today, that as we approach your word, this gift that you've given to us, these god inspired, God-breathed, God-sourced words, that we approach them with a prayer that simply says, Father, through the ministry of your Holy Spirit, help me to better understand your truth. Thank you for your word, for the Spirit who helps us understand what you desire of our lives, Lord. And I pray that the same ministry of the Holy Spirit will be our ministry, our objective, our one goal, and that is to lift up Jesus through walk and through talk. We thank you for this gift that we have now to remember the story that we're to be witnesses of. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.